This morning, we continue our twice-a-year mini-series called Grace Stories. These are personal glimpses into the lives of ordinary GRC members like you and me. And the ordinariness of their lives sometimes looks like a struggle with sin or anxiety and depression or family relational dysfunction. It might include a, a struggle with core matters of faith, believing that God is still there. And those real life elements connect with us. We, we find something familiar in every story. It helps us to think, that person gets me. I'm not alone in my struggle. Other times, the grace story giver describes their sin profile very honestly, in, in raw words, in particular words, and you realize, oh, I think that's me. <laughs> I think I have that as well. And that realization also is a grace given to you to see what afflicts your soul. That's why the key element of every grace story is the antidote to spiritual heart disease. It's unsurprisingly the grace of God at the heart of every grace story. These aren't hero stories. This isn't the latest, I summited Mount Everest and let me tell you how difficult it was and you realize I'm not that caliber of a person and I could never do that. But good for you. It's not a grace story. It's not what we profile no, these are, are different because they highlight God's grace given to ordinary people, which means that you and I can access that same grace by faith in Jesus, who is the true hero of every God's story. And that gives us real hope that the same kind of healing and forgiveness and freedom and reconciling power and even new life are available, are possible. Today, Nick Hart is here to share his grace story. Nick has come a long way, geographically and relationally, but most of all, spiritually. Less than four years ago, he was very lost, but God, we say, those are gospel words. God, who is rich in mercy, made Nick alive with Christ. Good morning, everyone. It was this time, almost exactly four years ago, I was sitting in the audience here at Grace Redeemer Church, listening to David and Rochelle Thompson's great story. Fresh out of Texas and amazed at just how many shopping malls I could count on one highway, I didn't have any idea what the Lord had planned for me these next years. I grew up in a small town called Longview, Texas, and for most of my years there, I always had a sense that I wanted to get out and visit the world. New York City was one of those places, and for one reason or another, I knew I would do whatever it took to get there and see what the city that never sleeps had to offer. Being able to visit New York has been a larger-than-life experience, but there's a part of me that longed for something that the city simply cannot and will not offer, a true sense of belonging and fulfillment beyond worldly desires. With more stars in the sky and pine trees than you could hope to count, East Texas was where the Lord put me for most of my first 20 years. I grew up in a family that often had a hard time putting food on the table or ensuring the gas tank was filled up enough to get my dad to work. The start of a new school year always came with both excitement and anxiety. With being in a low-income family, purchasing school supplies, 
was a time that I wish I could skip since I knew I'd often not get everything needed. I felt I lacked many things and desired to be respected on a level that I would see others receiving. I'd blame my dad for not making enough money or saving effectively for the lack of material things in my life. He had struggles with an alcohol addiction that had an effect on my family I wouldn't hope for anyone. Looking back, my mom quietly had personality disorders that no one would address or bring concern to. I share these struggles because until I found Christ, my past and family history left scars that I allowed to convince myself I would never succeed or get far in life. Although I wouldn't say I have the exact struggles my parents do, we all have something that holds our attention and grasp apart from God. For me, that was joy and ludicrous amount of time playing my favorite video games or acing the most recent exam at school. These were outlets to prove myself and show others that despite my background, I could overtake them and leave behind the chains of poverty I felt inhibited me. The, ol the older I got, the harder it was to maintain these grades, and with any addiction, even something seemingly as harmless as video games, I only wanted more or to improve, which demanded increasing time and attention. My grades suffered near the end of high school, and after going off to college, that continued to be the case. After two semesters, I was suspended from my low GPA, which led to a downward spiral on my mental health. I attended Marbury Baptist Church for most of my younger years, and honestly enjoyed the experience despite identifying as, as an agnostic at the time. There were things such as memorizing scripture and biblical knowledge tests that my pride allowed me to succeed and get well at. It's funny looking back because I don't remember most of what I learned, which I attribute to not having a primary interest in seeking God and his purpose for me. Again, I wanted to be successful at something, and this was another w sneaky way to let that creep into my self-image. After my failed attempt at college, I was back home gaming even more heavily while depressed with a lack of direction and hold on life. I later met a girl in one of those games who I got along well with and grew a liking to. Eventually, we started dating, and although this was purely virtual, I never had a serious relationship before that point. Our parents weren't initially aware, and once this came to light, there was distrust from both sides. I was worried I was going to lose the one thing that meant the most to me. A few months later, I was presented with the opportunity to move up here to New Jersey and look for employment. But despite this amazing chance, I was concerned with the likelihood of having to give up a large portion of the time I committed to video games and other hobbies. After some thoughtful discussion and planning, I was able to make the move to the East Coast and what it had to offer. My first Sunday in New Jersey, I went to the service at Grace Redeemer with my girlfriend at the time and her family. This was the first of many services that the Lord would eventually use for me to accept him in my heart. Through meeting various church members and attendees, there was something different about Grace Redeemer that I couldn't pinpoint at the time. Despite being an agnostic and attending Sunday services, I often agreed with big picture ideas presented in sermons or between service ACE adult Christian education hours. At some point, I started attending a GRC young adult group, Crossroads, and met a lot of incredible individuals that I know or am friends with to this day. But I still was not convinced God was for me or that he was real in any way beyond a spiritual being that created the universe. Over time, my relationships with a few individuals of Grace Redeemer started leaving an impact on me in ways that I could not explain or give source to. There'd be topics or interactions with friends and coworkers that I started feeling convicted about, which never had been the case in the past. Today, I would say that the Spirit was guiding me closer to God and the forgiveness Jesus has to offer. Instead of always blaming myself for where I was at in, in life or never feeling respected enough, 
I could rest knowing Jesus has died on the cross for my sins and purpose in him is the ultimate glory. With an eventual breakup and loss of employment, I was in quite the desperate situation. I had lost all hope and desire for moving forward in life and saw no end to the perceived darkness. And this time, God revealed to me what I sought more important than him and what worldly things I looked to for fulfillment. Such things could never give me lasting joy and satisfaction, but because of Jesus, I was able to find purpose in serving our Father. Someone who was critical for me during this time, a previous GRC leader, who many of you know, was David Noel. Through numerous lunches and soul-searching conversations, he would listen to my heartaches and general life questions. I praise God for how he discipled me in a time that when I thought I was alone. After being curious about the Bible, David directed me to Matthew, where I started reading daily and praying for the Lord to change my heart and reveal his truth. I know these interactions, along with my past girlfriend, her family, and many unnamed others were what led me to accepting Christ. There was a moment where I felt truly convicted of my sin and how much I needed Jesus. It was a huge relief as I had felt burdened in most of my recent years for never being good enough for myself or others around me. Reflecting back, I've realized that God met me where I was at, be at my house in East Texas, gaming through the night, or in New Jersey, jobless and hopeless. Now I have purpose, and not just in the sense of status or respect, but through Jesus and his eternal plan for me. Many events in my life I would have attributed to simply luck or my own selfish ambition, but looking back as a firm believer in Christ, he's been there every step of the way, regardless of whether I was listening. He's fulfilled my desires in ways that no one else could, and although I'll always have room to grow, I know I can look to God for hope and direction, regardless of circumstance. pray. God, receive all the glory for the transformation that we can see before our very eyes. Lord, what was lost is now found. What was dead is now alive. What was in darkness is now living in light, all because of your intervening grace. So we praise you this day, the God of grace, for this story and anticipate how you will continue to tell the story of your goodness, your saving work in and through Nick's life. Thank you for the privilege that you've given the GRC family to be a part of this journey. Amen. Nick, thank you again. East Texas to North Jersey, that's a big change. Broken family um, relationships growing up compared to in the past few years, the love and support that he's gotten from this family, that's a big change. But the most dramatic change in Nick Hart's life goes far deeper. It's a spiritual change transformation. The Apostle Paul would say that God rescued Nick from the dominion of darkness and brought him into the kingdom of the sun, the kingdom of light. That kind of language might strike you as a little bit overly dramatic. 
because Nick didn't tell us that he was an evil person. He didn't tell us that he was a coke head, you know, abusing other people, living in darkness. Sure, he was addicted to gaming. He was a bit lost in life, but we would think, give the guy a break. Look at where he is today. He's come a long way. And yet the Bible would clearly say, no, the old Nick lived in darkness. Ephesians 5.8 describes unbelief as living in darkness. Paul says, for you were, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And listen to Paul quoting Jesus, commissioning Paul as a new convert. These are some of the first words the Lord Jesus spoke to Paul. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's even stronger language. Not just darkness, but under the power of Satan. Why such stark language? We need to keep building a case from Scripture. Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 12, couldn't be more blunt in talking about himself, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus doesn't say, I am one source of life, one good option among many. He says, I am the light, the light, definite article, the light of the world. And since light is life, he says, to reject him or at a minimum to treat him with indifference, you know, you, you could go with Jesus or not, doesn't matter, he's not that relevant, to reject him or to treat him with indifference, either one is not following Jesus, which means walking in darkness, a, a, pattern of pa- a pattern of life remaining in darkness. And if that's the opposite of the light of life, then darkness equals death. That's the stark language of Scripture. We can't avoid it. If you're in total darkness, I know living in suburbia here in the metro New York area, it's, it's difficult to experience total darkness because the glow of uh, nearby cities against the, the clouds prevents us from being out in the middle of nowhere. But if you're in total darkness, it's incredibly disorienting. Even in your own bedroom that you know because you set it up. W- without a little LED emitting from some device on your nightstand, it's not uncommon in the darkness to bang your knee against the, uh, the end of your bed, to, to misjudge where you are and run into the door frame rather than go through the door. You know, you feel like a complete dork, but nobody's watching because it's the middle of the night and you're okay. But e- even in the darkness of your own bedroom, it's disorienting. I thought I was six inches off from where I am, an owl. That's the price you pay. In, in the woods, if you were out in the middle of nowhere, darkness can be the difference between light, uh, life and death. Where's the edge of the ravine? Where's that hole? 
if you step in it, you break your ankle and you're in the middle of nowhere. But if you pull out that flashlight that you've wisely brought with you, light changes everything. In spiritual darkness, which is any life apart from the light of the world, Jesus, any life that does not follow him and therefore rejects or ignores the light of life, in in spiritual darkness, you can't tell what's true and false. You don't know the difference. Even your physical eyes looking at the here and now, the material, that eyesight isn't clear because of darkness, because of spiritual cataracts. If there's any hope for change, you need light. And obviously, that light needs to come from outside of yourself. Why share all this? Because Nick's story isn't an inspirational account of a guy who figured out life. That's not true of any of us. It isn't a, gee, good for him. He found spirituality and it's working for him. I'm glad. You go, man. No, before the light of Jesus shone on Nick's dark life, that term described his living, darkness, lostness. His biggest problem wasn't his gaming addiction. His biggest problem wasn't his family's dysfunction. Nick's biggest problem was that as a sinner, he was an enemy of the creator God and justly deserving of eternal punishment. We don't like that. That's what the scriptures say. It's true of all of us in our sin, apart from saving faith in the Savior, Jesus. We prefer to paint a different picture. Sure, surely God must be pleased when we make the best effort to be a good person and um, to treat other people kindly. And since he's a loving God, maybe if we go down this path, only the worst kinds of monsters in the world are going to get some kind of eternal punishment. The problem is that has nothing to do with biblical Christianity. As much as our flesh would prefer it to be another way, a cleaner, easier, more satisfying kind of solution, kind of story. Because that picture of God, surely he is satisfied with our best efforts to be kind and loving to other people, to do our best, to be a good citizen. That perspective on eternal spiritual reality rejects truth. And he alone, as creator God, has the prerogative to define what is true. That picture that we prefer has a very shallow understanding of sin. Hey, nobody's perfect. I try my best. Some of those rules that God comes up with don't make sense anyway, and so I'm just going to sort of pick and choose and make my own way. But if God is love, if God is wisdom, if God is purity, if he is beauty, if he is the epitome of anything good, then any part of our lives, any uh, pathway walking towards uh, some goal, anything that fails to recognize those perfections that God alone has, anything that chooses another way, that chooses to define for ourselves what is better than what God has laid out for us in the scriptures, it is a rejection of God and a choice to live a separate life 
And since he's light and life, sin is a choice of darkness and death. There's no other picture that the revelation of God in the scriptures gives to us. It's perfectly consistent, though we might prefer a different way. What hope is there? One more passage from John's first letter describing light and darkness, but also pointing to the antidote for sin. Erica read the first part of this. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If you have a picture in your head of an angry God, you're actually on to something. But keep going further so you don't miss the light of life. God the Father's perfectly just character, the the, the perfect consistency with which he defends justice. And by the way, we all desperately, passionately want justice. We want what is right in the world. We, We want corrupted officials and gang members in Haiti, which is descending into anarchy, to be put in their place, to be arrested, to be corrected, to 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 not have the influence that they have on that impoverished country. We want Putin to leave the people of Ukraine alone. We want abusers to be caught and locked up. We desperately, passionately want justice. We want things to be right in the world. We want the mess. Uh, Friends, we were out with friends last night and the guys were talking about Brett Favre. In the mess down in Mississippi, taking federal funds intended for Medicaid to help provide medical care for the most impoverished in that very poor state, siphoned off for volleyball courts and payments for... We want that injustice to be set right. We want the guilty to be punished. When God the Father, who has perfectly just character, he is... uh, He must set right what is wrong because of who he is. When his just character responds to sin, anger is the appropriate, holy result. Anger at sin. It's the most not right thing in the world. But... For all who place our faith in Jesus, for all who humble ourselves and and access by faith what is offered, this is what happened 2,000 years ago in history, in a time and place. God the Father's perfectly just anger towards sin was poured out instead upon God the Son, sinless, innocent. In a sense, we could say God's justice was unjustly poured out on the innocent. But that's the gospel. That's the path of salvation. A substitute takes our place. 
You must access that by faith. It is not universally offered to anyone. Otherwise, if, if this was just the truth 2,000 years ago, and yeah, I know that, but you didn't access it by faith, it's just out there and it's true for everybody, that would mean the monsters in the world would not only get away, but they'd be rewarded. None of us wants that because we passionately want justice. We want things set right. Jesus spilled his blood in order to satisfy the penalty that our sins deserve. Do you believe that? Nick did. That's why he's here testifying, telling the story of God's saving grace in his life. Our greatest prayer is that you would come to a realization if you've never and, 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 and you may have been in church all of your life and never really understood the gravity of your sin, the reality of living in darkness, and the need for you to embrace Jesus by faith and walk in the light. That's Nick's story. That's the real transformation from the old Nick who reluctantly came to GRC four years ago, but who stands before you this morning telling you this is the God of life. The God who's shown light into my life. And that's the reason Nick can now sing. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. I want to close with uh, the words to uh, one more hymn by uh, Charles Wesley. And can it be? This is the fourth stanza. And, and notice how Wesley char- uh, captures in poetry um, this picture of salvation. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound shackles in sin and nature's night. That's the natural uh, way of, that's the natural condition of mankind. Nature's night, darkness. Thine, your eye diffused a quickening ray, a ray of sunshine, if you will, a ray of light. I woke, this is the work of the Holy Spirit, The dungeon, right? Uh, Living in darkness also means being enslaved to sin. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, freedom. My heart was free, forgiveness. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That's our greatest prayer for you this day and every day. Let's pray. God, Holy Spirit, Hold up the mirror to our hearts that we might see with spirit eyes the true condition of our hearts. Apart from Jesus, we're in the dungeon, shackled, bound in nature's night, darkness. We need light from outside of ourselves. We need the light of the world, Jesus. We need light that is life to rescue us from the dominion of darkness and bring us into the kingdom of Jesus the Son. Do that work, Lord. That's our greatest prayer as a church, that more and more you would raise the dead, that you would shine light into darkness, that Nick's story would be multiplied. Receive all the glory, Lord, for the rescue of the lost, for the raising of the dead, for the saving of souls even sinners like us. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.